Uh, we have two short readings today. Uh, first is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. And from Colossians 3, 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This is the word of God. You may be seated. All right. She gets the Britney Spears mic today. This is Bria Walter. Uh, yes. Um, so as you, as you all know, uh, since about the new year, uh, we've had a, a guest preacher for us about once a month or so. And uh, Bria, we've, we've just gotten to know each other over the phone exclusively <laughs> until today. Uh, hey. Hello. Nice <laughs> to meet you in person. Um, she, is, uh, she was a mutual connection through uh, a mutual professor of ours, Gary Brashears, uh, the, the Protestant Pope of Portland. Uh, <laughs> if you know Gary, there's no one more connected or influential than Gary. Um, and he recommended Bria. I reached out to him and said, hey, I'm looking for some recommendations for, to widen the pool of people that I know. And uh, it's been so fun getting to know you a little bit. And we are just so blessed for you to be here with us. Thanks Thank you. so much. Yes. You are, you're the, <laughs> that's right. Indeed. You are the director of operations. That is true. Operations yes. director. Mm -hmm. That's the title. At, at Saints Hill Church. Saints Hill mm -hmm. Church. In Newburgh. In Newburgh. Yeah. <laughs> These so are my friends right You got some friends. <laughs> yeah. You, uh. You were able to stop through the wineries on your way here? Oh, uh, no, <laughs> but we did get Portland coffee, so thank you, God. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I, I, won't, I won't preempt anything you want to share, but thank you. Awesome. It's a gift yes. to have you thank with you. us. Thank you. Thanks for having me, everybody. Thank you. It is a total honor to be with you guys this morning. Um, this is, I'm not like a go around speaker kind of person. This is my first time outside of my home church getting to speak. So it's a really huge honor for you guys to let me do this, to come and to talk to you. I think during uh, just like the time watching you guys filter in, it was really, we used to, our church used to meet in a building that felt a lot like this. It used to feel, um, I got like nostalgic for that feeling of family when you walk in and you're like, oh, I know the people in this room and like these are my people and I could name everyone and like I've been watching these kids grow up and I just like, you guys have a really, really special thing here that God is doing, that you would come and you would have this place that's central in the city, but that is bringing you together and making it feel like small and like family and that you have your people here. That's a big deal. And it's a big deal to have. And I would like encourage you guys, if you're here and you're like, oh, I don't feel that family thing. Like that is something God's doing in you guys is he is stirring you up to be, um, we're going to talk about today, but to be the encouragers of one another, to be actual like brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers to one another in this place. And it's something that is rare and really beautiful. So I just want to honor what God's already doing here. And I'm so, so thankful um, to be here and to see what he's up to. You guys have been in this series that I'm going to jump into talking about putting flesh on what it means to love one another. What does it, when we hear that word love, what does it mean? And we're, you guys are looking at these verses and we're gonna look at these two that were just read today. To ha what does it look like to actually put flesh to love? Um, and as I was thinking, I actually 
taught a few weeks ago and there was a Dallas Willard quote that I used and he was talking about this word love and I'm going to read that quote. I think I have it. Yep, there it is. You guys are on it. So he says this. He says, so we must understand that God does not love us without liking us through gritted teeth as Christian love is sometimes thought to do. Rather, out of the eternal freshness of his perpetually self-renewed being, the heavenly father cherishes the earth and each human being upon it. The fondness, the endearment, the unstintingly affectionate regard of God towards all his creatures is the natural outflow of what he is to the core, which we vainly try to capture with our tired but indispensable old word, love. And I think there, it, when we talk about love, it's one of those words that can become really dead that we hear a lot. Even the words that we read, we read about encouragement. Um, it's something that can, it doesn't have life on it sometimes because we're so used to the definitions. And I love what Willard says here is because it's like love is what is flowing out of God himself. When we talk about these things, when we talk about, oh, here's how we're to love one another, it's not to add another like skill set to your guys' tool belt. It's not to try to say like, oh, here's like another thing to try when you go home. It's saying, no, when you encounter God, when you encounter Jesus himself, you will overflow with these things. This is what the people of God overflows with as they encounter Jesus because he has this unstoppable affection towards you. When you meet him, you will have the same towards your brother, towards your sister, towards your neighbor. And so as we talk about what it means to put flesh to that command love, I just want to first know and like just make it all of us are on the same page that if we go after these things without encountering Jesus, it means nothing. It means nothing to pursue love apart from him. It means nothing to pursue these really good things apart from him because they will fall flat. And so even this morning, yeah, I'm just going to pray for us. Uh, Jesus, we ask for an encounter with you this morning. We want nothing less than to meet with you, to get to see you. We don't need to learn a new thing or get a new tip or take something home for conversation later. We need to meet with you, God. We need the reality of your presence in your people in this place that we would get to know and see you, Jesus. So I pray that even right now that um, whatever like preparation that I've done, I lay it at your feet, God, and just ask that you would, you would divide, you would give what is true, you would give what is needed for today, and that mostly, Jesus, we would just get to see you. Pray for each just heart in this room right now that we would be receptive to what you want to do. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I want to look at that first passage, that first Thessalonians. I'm going to pull it up in my, pull it up in my Bible, turn to it in my Bible. First uh, Thessalonians 5:11. I'm going to read it again for us. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. And we come to this, this command to encourage one another. But where we read it in First Thessalonians is in light of, he's talking about the day of the Lord. He's using this language of, oh, hey, remember who you are, that you do not live in darkness, you live in a kingdom of light. He says things like, be sober, be awake, be alive to what is really happening around you. He says, you are to put on the breastplate of hope and salvation. You're to put on a helmet. It's this like readiness language. It's getting ready for a battle type of language. And he's saying, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. And it's out of that, he says, therefore, encourage one another. 
So what kind of like, if you're getting read, like that's like battle ready language, that's gearing up language, that is strengthen yourself language. And he comes out of that and he says, therefore encourage. So what kind of encouragement is he talking about? Uh, it's not gonna be that like pat on the back, great job, good game, encouragement. It's not gonna be the kind of encouragement that just looks and is like, oh yeah, like really nice. That's a good one. Or like the encouragement to say like, oh yeah, you like, it's not a you can do it type of thing. This is, think about if you, I mean, I've never been in a war. I'm guessing it's a really scary thing to think about like going into. That before a battle that a general would gather his men around him and ready them for what they're about to face. That what you are about to face is not like, isn't even something he would wish on those men, but he's saying, here is the reality of what you're about to walk into, and I want you to be strengthened. I want you to be strong, to go and to know that what you're doing has purpose and has meaning, and I'm going to encourage you. He's not just patting them on the back. He's not just telling them they can do it. He is putting courage inside of them. To encourage is to put courage inside of someone. And what he's saying in 1 Thessalonians is to walk this walk, to live in faith, is actually you need courage. There is a race to be run, and it's in light of what Jesus has done. And to do it well, you need to not lose heart. You need to be a person of courage. There's, I think I have a slide with like three passages from accident, and I just wanted to look really, really quickly at some of the other places that this word encouraged is used. In Acts 9.31, he's talking to the church and he's saying, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, they're increasing in numbers. In order to be strengthened, in order to live in fear of the Lord, they needed encouragement from the Holy Spirit himself. When he arrived and he saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and he encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He's walking into a situation where, yes, the people are doing well, but he's saying, no, remember to remain true to your first love, to what you know. He, they needed to have courage to remain. In Acts 14, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith, there it is again, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. You need courage to remain true. Faith does not just happen to you. <laughs> There's a work of God that brings you to himself, but when we walk with Jesus, it is a partnership. It's not, oh Lord, I give you my life and now he's gonna force faith on you. It's actually a daily, we get to make that decision to be courageous, to say, oh no, I will, like, I will cling to faith. The world is not going to give faith to you easily. You will choose every day to be a person of faith and to put courage in someone, it's to a specific end. It's not just courage to live your best life, it is courage to remain in the faith. That is what he's talking about, and that is the courage that we need to remain true to faith, remain in fear of God, to run the race that is set before us. I've had uh, that race analogy is obviously one that the scripture uses, but I've had it on the brain a lot because our boys ran, I say our boys as in my husband and our friends, ran a race that was really long. They ran a trail, uh, my husband says it's not an ultra marathon, but it was. It was 31 miles, more than a, it's more than a marathon. And they, were, they trained for this race and they went to the trails and we were gonna run with them. I actually have a picture, I think, of, yeah, that's my son, ready to cheer him on. We were wet and it was rainy and I was covering him with ponchos because I was not a rain-equipped mom. Don't, I guess I forgot I live in Oregon. And I, we were talking with, uh, me and the wives were the runner wives. We were there and just like, oh, our day is hard. I can't imagine what they're going through out there. They are, at that point when we saw them, we're run, coming up on 24 miles of running in the mud, in the rain, and it was just, it was an ugly time out there, guys. You know, you know Oregon. But we, 
get to that 24 mile point and we see them, we get to see them come through and we get to cheer them on and we get to say, yeah, you can do it. And that moment for us was really fun because we got to see them running their race. But what our friend Chris said afterwards is he said, their, this is a really sad thing, you guys, their watches that they ran with were like two miles ahead. So the whole time they're like, oh, I'm at mile 24 checkpoint. And they were not, they were miles away. And they, so Chris is telling me the story. He's like, I see my watch and I'm like, getting so discouraged because I'm like 24, 25, where is this checkpoint? I like need to be at this checkpoint. And he says that there, he's like, as we were actually approaching it, I could hear the people. I could hear the people cheering me on. And in something inside me was like, okay, we're there. I can keep going. He said, but then I got there and I saw Laura, my wife, and I saw Freddie, my son, and there was something in me. He's like, I could have cried, but I knew that I could keep going. I knew that I could keep going because my people were there saying like, oh no, this race, this is what you trained for. This is what you did. You, can, you will keep going. And his family, by their presence and by what they gave away, put courage in him. And all, all the guys made it, guys. They did it. They ran their race and made it to the end. And I think, I think about that and I'm like, oh, how hard is it to run a 30-mile race? But what the scriptures are saying is like, oh no, the race you're running is lifelong. You do not get to the finish line before your days are done and you get to go be with the Lord. To finish well is not to stop at mile 24. It's not to stop at mile 10. It is to keep going, to pursue God, to pursue what he has for you all the way to the end. And we cannot pursue until the end without people around us who will put courage inside of us. Because I will not get to the end if I do not have courage inside me. I will get discouraged. I will lose faith. I will look at the circumstances of my life and be like, this is impossible. And you need people around you to say, oh no, no, remember who God is. That he is a God of the impossible. That he is a God who will break into your situation. He's a God of the brokenhearted who is with you and for you. Keep running your race. So how, how do we do that? How do we put courage in someone? If I, you can take my cute son down, sorry. Moving on. I do like to look at him though, he's pretty sweet. Uh, how do we put courage inside of someone? These people in this room, this is your family, you're running with them, you are doing this with them. What does it look like to give them courage? So I think one of the big ways that we see in the scriptures to give people courage, it doesn't come from me looking at you and figuring out how to compliment you well. It actually comes from me being able to see you as God sees you. To the first way that we put courage in people is to see people as God sees them. There was, in the early church, we read about this guy named Barnabas. And I don't think Barnabas gets enough, not screen time, maybe enough page time, because he was awesome. Barnabas in Acts 9, we see a newly converted Paul. And if you know anything about Paul, um, right before he got converted, he's a pretty scary dude to Christians. He was killing them. Not fun. And Paul was a guy who he thought that his commission from the Lord was to end this movement that Jesus had started. And it wasn't until Paul encounters God himself, Jesus himself on the road and says, whoa, I had it all wrong. I'm giving my life to Jesus, that he became a Christian and wanted to join what the apostles were doing. But what it says in Acts 9.26 is that Paul came to, the Jeru to Jerusalem and he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. Makes sense, right? To be afraid of Paul. Makes sense that that would be someone you're not like, yeah, come on in. No, he's probably going to try to kill me. I'm not letting this guy in. You couldn't go. So Paul actually couldn't get near the community of believers because his past was stapled on him. That's all they could see was who we knew you to be. 
The disciples all shrank back in fear from Paul, but Barnabas did something different. Barnabas listened to God about who Paul was and what he wanted him to be. And it says in Acts 9, 27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Barnabas does something different. He says, I am not gonna actually look at Paul with his history. I'm not gonna look at him for who I've heard him to be. I'm gonna listen to what God is doing through him and I'm gonna grab Paul and bring him into what God is up to amongst us. I am going to be his encourager. And actually Barnabas' name, his name means son, son of encouragement. This is language we use a lot in our community at St. Hills, but we say like, can you see the gold in him? Can you look at him and can you look at the person next to you, the person in front of you, whether they know Jesus or they don't, I don't care where this person is coming from, God has put gold in them for his images on them. So can I look at them and say, God, what do you say about them? This is actually something that I do all the time when I'm fighting with my husband is, unless I really wanna keep fighting, I don't do this. But if I wanna be done fighting, what I'll do is I stop and I ask the Lord, God, what do you think about Tyler? Because right now, I think he's not very nice. And what God will actually speak is things that are true about him. He will remind me of the man that he is and the man that he is becoming. And I'm filled with, I'm filled with love instead of my annoyance. And that is how we let go of our offense towards people as we see them as how God has seen them. When we see people as God sees them, we actually get a glimpse of their destiny, of the purpose in store for them, of the fact that like, oh no, no, you are not made to be a small insignificant person. And the things you do like personality wise that maybe don't rub me right, they don't matter because God is doing something in you. We put courage in people by being able to stop and say, okay, God, how do you see them? And then telling them. We tell them the gold that God sees in them because if, like, if Barnabas hadn't done that, the world would have missed the gift that Paul was. We would have missed the gift that Paul was to the church and to people because it would have said, oh, actually, I'm gonna choose fear over, believe, over actually thinking that God has something to say about him. And we have that choice all the time with the people around us to let my fear keep me from doing that, to let my annoyance keep me from doing that, to just let my difference keep me from doing that. But what we're called to, to be, if we're gonna be actual encouragers who put courage in people, is to see them as God sees them. So how do I do that? I use that language of like, you ask God. Um, but there are, there are specific things that God is saying about each of his people. It says in 1 Corinthians 2.16, for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Did you get that? You have the mind of Christ. As a believer who the Holy Spirit dwells with you and in you, that you get to have the thoughts of God? That sounds like, I would say that sounds sacrilegious if I didn't just read it in the Bible. Like, that is amazing. And that is what we get to share with people. And that is what we talk about in the church sometimes, the language of the prophetic, is that's prophecy, is simply to share the thoughts of God. So when someone says, oh, did, I, I got a word, or they prophesied over me, that's what they're saying, is someone shared with them the thoughts of God, that what he said, we have access to it and we're able to give it away. In 1 Corinthians 14.3, it says, but the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, their encouraging, and their comfort. Maybe you hear that word prophecy and you're kind of like, mm, no, I've, like, I've read the prophets and I don't want to talk to anyone like that. I'm not about giving, giving that away. But what actually, what Jesus has done, what he gained victory over is given us the, the ability that our prophecy is for the strength, the encouraging, and the comfort because the battle has already been won. 
So when we prophesy over people, those are, those are your litmus tests, right? Is it strengthening? Is it comforting? Is it encouraging? Is it something that is going to put courage in them? We cannot encourage without the mind of Christ, for it will be empty. When you're talking about, I'm giving someone a prophetic word, what am I, what am I talking about? It's you're stopping, you're looking to the Lord, and you're saying, Lord, do you have anything to say about them? Do you have anything you wanna tell me about them? And maybe there will be a verse that comes to your mind. Maybe there will be a picture that comes to your mind. Maybe there will just be one word and you're like, I have no idea what that means, but you just give it away to them. And the cool thing about the prophetic is that it's not performative. Like you giving that word away and being right or wrong, it really doesn't matter. Because what God has said is that when you receive a word, you actually are the one who you will divide it with him. So whoever you're giving the word to also gets to take that to the Lord and be like, do I dump this or do I keep it? Is this for me? So it's not about you performing. It's not about you being really good at prophetic words. No, it is about putting courage in people. So if God is saying something, will I speak it? And when you receive a word, that's the same thing. If someone's to give you, give you a word, how you receive it matters. Like, do you value the words that people speak over your life that could be from the Lord? Or do you hear them like, yeah, 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 okay. That feels a little too big for me. Or that feels like, that, that's not me, that's not me. Okay, but what if God is saying that that is you? That is the invitation with every prophetic word that we see in the scripture, the prophetic words that we'll receive from one another, is will I partner with what God is up to? You're never gonna be forced into a prophetic word over your life. It's not fortune telling. It's not trying to like give you, oh, here's like what's gonna happen with your life. No, the Lord is saying, you, I see this in you and here's what could happen if you partner with me, if you do this with me. To truly put courage into people is to give them that invitation, to value them. I think there's this, uh, I've really learned in the last probably five years of my life since being at St. Hill, the value of the prophetic in my life, to value it, that when people give me something, even if right away I'm not like, oh yeah, that's it, I write them down, I keep them, I remember them, I go back to them, and I can, I'll find words that two years before I read, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that was for today. That's what you were saying for today. We do this, uh, we do this thing in our staff meetings, and we call it the hot seat. And it's where one person gets prayed for and people will see like if there's a prophetic word or maybe it's just an encouragement that we just see for them or it's a Bible verse that's for you. And I was listening through these words um, as I was prepping for this teaching last night and I was just thinking, okay, like what has God given me recently that he's telling me about? And there was one word that I received and um, it was a word that said, he's inviting you to fight against generational sin of your family through your rest in Jesus. And when I got it, I was like, yeah, cool. Like, there's a, my family has a lot of sin, so I guess I have, a, I have a lot to fight against. And the Lord kind of stopped me as I was prepping through this, and he said, no, there's a specific one that I want you to rest from. I was like, okay, what is that? He's like, you have a sin of manipulation in the women of your family that you are walking in, and you need to stop. And I said, okay, like, how, how, how so? Manipulation is when you attempt to control the future, to control other people, and get them to do as you want. To rest in me is to say, no God, you get control over my future. I believe that you know what is best for me and I'm gonna step away from manipulation, I'm gonna trust you. That I do not have to do anything to control how the future happens. I get to rest in Jesus and I get to drop that sin of manipulation. And in that moment, I got it. I said, oh, that's what that word was for. Was to, re was to reveal to me, it revealed the sin that I was carrying in my life, but also it revealed the hope of the future that I have in Christ when I rest in him. That is what the prophetic does in us. It strengthens us, it puts courage in us to say, oh yeah, I don't have to live that way. I don't have to live that way. I get to live God's way. It is saying, here is the way of God on offer for you and will you walk in it? 
This is what the scriptures does for us, and this is what we are to do for one another, to put courage inside each other. And I think before, before I keep moving, I do want to say, too, it's not just about what I put in other people. You cannot give away what you have not received. You cannot give away, you're not going to be like, oh, I'm going to become the main encourager of the house, and I'm going to go around, and everybody's getting a word from me. No. Have you received who you are from the Lord? Do you know your identity in the Lord? Is your strength in him? And because what happens is you start to put your identity in being the main encourager. That's not the point. You were not made to be an encourager. You were made to be a child of God and you need to know who you are to be able to genuinely encourage anyone. <clears throat> I think of uh, the story of David in Samuel 30. You see this story of David. He's returning with his men in Samuel 30 and they come back to the city and the city is desolate. It's been burned, their wives, their children, their families have been kidnapped and they're gone. They look around, it says that they wept until they did not have strength to weep anymore. It's this scene of just utter desolation of life, of what they, like, of hope, honestly. And it comes to the end of that passage and it says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. But David strengthened himself in the Lord and you see what he leads out of that strengthening of the Lord, he leads his people to a new era. He actually becomes king and you see a future and a hope. But that, but he strengthened himself is key. You cannot count on as much as we're saying like we are to encourage one another. That is true. But your faith will not be stirred, will not be, it's not the responsibility of anyone except for you. Your strength in the Lord is something you get to foster, to say, I will strengthen myself in God. I will choose to believe him. I will choose to go after him. To strengthen myself is to take ground in the kingdom. It's to stop and say, God, what are you saying about me? Will you listen to what he's saying about you? Will you take the scriptures and on days when you're like, I'm I have these days all the time. I am discouraged and I am weak and I don't even like, what is this thing that I'm even going after? Oh, I come to the scriptures and I say, it's not a thing, it's a person. Remember who I am, remember who I am, remember who I am, and I will sit and read these over myself until courage stirs in me again. I will stir courage in myself when I am weak because that is our responsibility. Your relationship with God, your closeness with him, your ability to hear from him, it's not your pastor's responsibility for you, it's not your neighbor's responsibility for you. We do, we encourage one another, we live as a body of faith, and I do get to lean on other people's faith, that's awesome. But at the end of the day, it is me and it is God, and I will answer to him. You will not answer to him for me. We get to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. What a beautiful gift that is. I wanna say yes to the words of God over my life. I wanna be bold enough and strong enough to give away the words of God over other people's life, to stir courage in them. What the prophetic does is it values the mind of Christ and it gives it away that we might walk with a perspective of heaven. We might be turned to Jesus. Courage is found in our aligning with him. So the second way that we encourage one another, we put courage in them by seeing them as God sees them. Second, we tell the truth. The truth will put courage in you. That truth, it's aligning with God. It's aligning with who he is, with what he has said is possible. That is why true courage is spurred because it's based on him. It's not based on actually what I can do. Because if you were to try to encourage me based off of like all of my talents, that's gonna fall flat because I'm gonna fail. I'm gonna not do something super well or I'm gonna, I'm gonna mess up, I'm gonna sin. But when we put our courage based on him, it was unshakable. It's found in this turning and this full surrender to Christ. 
encouragement based off of self, self-fulfillment is an encouragement that expresses that the ultimate truth can be found if I just look deeper into myself. But that will fall flat. It is a self-confused attempt to build courage that ignores the design that God has placed in each of us. Courage is found in full surrender. It's when I seek fulfillment from him that I will be satisfied. If you're a believer and you are seeking to find fulfillment in accomplishments, in yourself, in what you've done, in the next dream or the house or the thing, you will actually quench his spirit. You will quench that voice that will speak courage to you because you'll say, "Mm, I found a better thing. I found a better thing over here and "Mm, that's actually where I will find my courage. But it will disappoint you. There is courage in the kingdom life, in life lived with Jesus. To live for what is unseen to live for the rewards of heaven. That there's a, that's like, that is Christian courage. Like if you're here today and you're like, ah, eternity, like life with God, heaven on earth. Well, that's the story that you've stepped into. And if we cannot believe and walk in that story that what Jesus has done can bring heaven to earth today, that the impossible becomes possible with him, we're missing out. Like to just wait for, to wait for our death and to step into eternity, we're missing a whole part of the story that God has bought, that he has said, oh no, I wanna make your day, your now, your city, your home, a temple for my Holy Spirit, a place where I will come and dwell and your world will be changed. And I know that we look around and sometimes like, I don't, God, I don't see you doing that. Okay, but will I take courage and say, oh, but I trust you over my circumstances. I trust you over what I see and that what you have done, you can do again. And I am convinced that we will not be disappointed. There's a story of, I think it, like multiple plagues this has happened, but the plague in Alexandria in the 1300s is this really like crazy story to me because I think it reveals what happens when a Christian truly believes what they say they believe. When they truly believe that the, the end of all my affection is Jesus. That to truly succeed is to know him that to know life is to know God himself. And there's this, there's this story of the, the plague in Alexandria in the 1300s, and it's a plague that is killing the city. It is wiping people out. It is, if you get this, you are dead, is basically what is happening. And what happened with early Christians is there's testimony after testimony of, as people are leaving the city to escape, Christians are coming into the city. Christians in huge numbers are coming into the city and it says that they were washing the sick, they were giving them food and water, they were consoling the dying, they were being there that you would have someone's hand to hold as, you, as your life ended. As everyone was running, there was one group that did not, that ran two. And it's not because as they ran two, they said, oh, it's because I cannot die. It is because they ran and said, oh, death, where is your sting? They actually believed that heaven on earth was possible and that them going to the plague was what God was asking them. They were full of courage. There was a bishop that was recorded in the early church and he said this of them. He said, all day long, some of them, the Christians, tended to the dying and to their burial, countless numbers with no one to care for them. Others gathered together from all parts of the city, a multitude of those withered from famine, and they distributed bread to them all. They believed God. They believed God and it made them not care about their safety. They believed God and they said, oh, I actually only have one to fear. I'll fear God and I will not fear man. I will not fear famine. I will not fear sickness. For us, I will not fear financial ruin. I will not fear an economic collapse. I will not fear sickness, death. None of it has a hold on me. What kind of freedom is that? 
That is the freedom that is on offer for the people of God. That is a freedom on offer for us, that kind of courage, should we put our trust in him. The truth of eternity, the truth of heaven on earth requires a life of courage. John 16, 33 says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. It is our responsibility to stir up this courage in one another through the truth that Jesus has overcome the world. Through the truth that it's not empty platitudes or just me trying to be compassionate, but it's that we receive faith for the glory of God and the love of humanity to be a people of genuine encouragement. And I know I spent a lot of time talking about encouragement, but I think it's really important. I think it's important that we know to stir courage in one another, that we know how to stir it in ourselves, for we are in a race, we are in a fight. But we also wanna admonish one another. Colossians 3.16 says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Now, this letter to the church is a beautiful reminder of who the people are. Earlier in Colossians, he's talking about setting your mind on things above, not on the things of earth. What we talked about, set your mind on what is true. And out of that place, admonish one another. And I'll admit to you guys that before I started prepping for this teaching, I thought admonish and encourage meant the same thing. So I was not super good at my vocab on this one. And when I looked it up, to admonish is actually to instruct, to advise, to warn, and I was like, ah, oh, okay, it's the less fun of the two words. So as I was like going through what these mean, I was looking at the passage and I was like, okay, it's instruct, advise, and warn. But he actually, in this Colossians 3.16 passage, tells us how to do that. It's not actually through a lecture. It's not actually through like, oh, here's the things I've learned, let me show you. He, the how that he gives us is psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, and singing to God with gratitude in your hearts what? Does that instruct? Does that warn? Yes. Your life of full surrender, your life that is now hidden in Christ, what he's been talking about all through Colossians, this is who you are. Your identity as a child of God is a living admonishment. It is a living warning that searching for freedom in empty places will come up short. It is a living warning that there is only one God that is worthy of praise. Your life is a teacher. Your life when you worship, your life when you are full of gratitude, your life when you know Jesus is a teacher. Uh, my friend Jake, he says, your life should always be a line in the sand. And what he means by that is that when people meet me, I want when they encounter me to be a line in the sand where you actually make a decision, where you meet me and you're like, oh, your life, like the way you follow God, I actually feel like I'm forced to say yes or a no. To either be like, no, I don't want that. Or like, yes, I'm hungry for that for what you have. Your life is that line in the sand, that teacher. Your life should be an offer, an offer of what is possible with a life with God. Singing to God with praise and gratitude, I love that because I feel like what it's showing us is that a life with God is just this, it's this counter tide to what is natural. Complaint is kind of natural. It feels natural to me at least, I might be the only one. But I, like, I feel like sometimes complaint can consume me that I can look at my life and be like, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. Ugh, why does my house look like that? Why is this like this? And I find myself in this place where complaint is just so easy. And so what he's saying is actually when you sing to God with your gratitude, when you are actually step into your identity as a worshiper and say, oh no, I will not complain. I will see what God has done and I will proclaim it. You're actually a teacher. 
because our complaining in our life is actually, when I complain, it's me saying, I definitely would have made my life different. I definitely would have made things go differently for me. It's to actually play, I'm playing God when I complain. I'm playing God when I say, "Mm, I could have done this better. To not walk in gratitude for the life we've been given, for the moment of history that we are in, for the possibility that is on offer on us, is that we're actually saying that we're doubting God's goodness. We're doubting his hand in our life. But instead we can say, oh no, I will praise. Like David does time and time again in the Psalms. Okay, I see that life is like this. I'm broken, I'm hurting, but I will praise. I will give God gratitude for the life that is on offer for me. Philippians 2, 14 through 15 says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. To sing to God with gratitude is to see the abundance that he has given us in the reality of the kingdom of God, the reality of Jesus Christ. I will have gratitude and I will not be defined by circumstance, but I will be defined by him. We have access to the God of the universe. There is reason for gratitude. You are worshipers. It's who you're made to be, to worship God. Are you living as one? Because it is the life of a worshiper that will admonish those around you, that will teach those around you. And not through a lecture that you can give or even something you can say, but by a life that actually believes what they say is true. Do you know that like, to be a Christian is pretty, pretty pointless if we don't actually believe what we're talking about? The church as a social club is a huge failure. It doesn't work. There's way better social clubs you could go to. But the church that is filled with the Spirit of God, the person that is filled with the Spirit of God who wants to know him, that is worth it. Do you really believe what he says? Because if you do, your life will admonish people. But again, we can't give away what we don't have. My life will not be an admonishment if I'm not receiving from God himself. And this is not... Yeah, this isn't a thing of like, oh, we gotta, we gotta learn to be better so that we can admonish. No. It's, can I fall in love every day with who God is? Can I be encountered by him? You can. He's on offer. He says, if you seek me, you will find me. Do you want to know him? Do you want to be with him? Is he a treasure to be found? Am I setting out to follow the teacher, Jesus Christ, to lay my life down to know him and be known by him? With this single pursuit, my life will be a life of encouragement. I'll be full of courage. It'll be a life that admonishes those around me. And I think that 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 invitation today, I don't know how much of this is super familiar to you guys, but there there is an invitation today to remember what God says about you, to remember what he's already told you, to remember what his scriptures say about you and who you are, to receive a new and fresh word from him. I believe he can do that today. I brought friends with me here that they love giving prophetic words. They would love to pray for you. Find them after this. You were made to be a child of God, and he is speaking to you. He's speaking his love over you. Do you want to listen to him today? And I know that um, I'm wrapping up here. I know that you guys take communion, I think, is the next. Communion is an amazing place to go from here because what communion does as a follower of Christ, is that we remember, right? Christ said, do this in remembrance of me. We remember who Jesus is, what he has done. We remember the life that he lived, that he said, oh, this is possible for you. We remember what he has asked of us. We remember 
that what he has done has washed away oh, every like ugly thing that I ever could have thought or done. He took care of it for you. He has justified you. He's given you grace. He's given you mercy. We remember him. And what a place to stir courage in our hearts to remember God. What a beautiful place to end if we're gonna talk about what it means to be a body who can encourage, a body who can admonish. If I'm talking about my life being defined by him, the really beautiful part about that is that that's not a work of my own. That's a receiving of what he has done, a receiving of what Jesus has done, is doing, and will do, that I will walk in such faith of him. And I will receive a word from him and I will believe it. So let's be people that believe together today. We'll come to the table.